Welcome to the BAPO podcast. Today I've got Liz Midgley with me. Liz is the uh, head of audiology at Bristol Children's Hospital and has been for a while. And she's also a past chair of the British Society of Audiologists. So if anyone knows what she's talking about, it is probably Liz. Hi. Hello. Thank you very much. Now, as a paediatric ENT surgeon, I'm clearly supposed to know lots about paediatric audiology, but the sorry truth is I don't really, and I suspect not many of us do. So I thought I'd get the definitive answer from you on how you test children's hearing. Mm. So I'm going to work through the various different things that happen. Now, before we start, I presume nobody has come up with antenatal testing of hearing. No, no. I think <laughs> I think they tried, and I think some parents think that if they play Beethoven to their child, they react in the womb and yes. feel them jumping to a loud sound, perhaps, but no. But it's no. all woo, basically. That's yeah, fine. No, Good. No, I'm no. glad I'm not missing anything. No, no. So the next thing, then, is child is born... And they all get a screen, a screen with an evoked, what, what do you call it? What's so the... so the, the newborn hearing screen yeah. is using screening autoacoustic emissions. Yeah. Um, and if they don't pass on screening autoacoustic emissions, they have an automated auditory brainstem response, so an evoked potential. If a well baby passes autoacoustic emission or OAE, they don't have the automated auditory brainstem response. <sighs> Right. So that's where you're measuring a bit of sound coming out of the cochlea, a genuine active emission from the cochlea. How good does your hearing have to be to pass that? So um, you get the response probably up to about 25, 30 dB. So getting an autoacoustic emission doesn't prove your hearing is completely within normal limits, but it shows that you've got good enough hearing for speech development. Right, and that's the key thing, speech developed, so 25 to 30 decibels. So that rules out most of the congenital stuff. That's the That's right. Thing. I mean, the, the screen was designed to find children with 40 dB or worse. So it wasn't designed to find mild hearing. Oh, so okay. No, I don't quite designed. appreciate that. And, and um, NICU babies, so babies who've been in NICU for over 48 hours, have to have both OAEs and AABR. Going to the AABR, how does that work exactly? So um, sensors on the head, yeah. stimulation through a headphone. Yeah. So in response to each sound stimulus, there's yeah. a, an evoked response, an, an electric yeah. response, an action potential that goes. So I remember learning area. that for the exam because you yeah. had you've got five points on it, That's and right, you, yes. you have different interlatencies if you had an acoustic neuroma. But of course, I, I presume that doesn't happen anymore because we scan everybody instead. They, it's but it's the same one, sort of thing. It's the same uh, test, but it's not used as a diagnostic like you would in an adult or yeah. would have done in an adult. So it, you're simply measuring brain activity in response to a sound at a set volume. That's right. Then the screen yeah. will put the sound in at a set volume, approximately 45 dB or thereabouts. Right. Um, and the pattern that comes up with the different waveforms, uh, you don't see it. The screener doesn't see it. They don't have to interpret the waveforms you don't do that until it's a diagnostic test so in the screen some algorithm inside the machine matches the pattern from that particular baby with lots of patterns normal patterns stored in its memory and and it passes if it matches and it doesn't pass if it doesn't match that's how i understand it Uh, okay so so why why do you do that on prems and babies from nicu rather than everybody so the autoacoustic emission is a cochlear response. Yeah. So theoretically, you could get the response from the cochlear, the autoacoustic emission, and have no nerve of hearing. Um, right, right. Uh, Or you can have something called ANSD, auditory neuropathy spectrum disorder. Ah, oh, right. Like 
No, I decided before we started, we're not going to go into that. Okay. But <laughs> you're, more, got you're, time. you're more yeah. likely to yeah, have yeah. that if you're a NICU graduate. Right. Okay. So yeah, some yeah. countries in the world have decided to do AABR on all babies, be they well babies or NICU babies. Right. But in this country, we do OAEs. And if they pass OAEs, we don't need to do the AABR. But you would miss oh. children, well babies with no nerve and and that happens but not very often uh, yeah i was gonna say that that's not pretty unlikely it's pretty unlikely it? yeah. i don't know yeah. but they can't have cochlear implants either presumably can no, they well they can have brainstem implants a, a, if, a cochlear implant wouldn't work very well if you if you don't have, have a, nerve. a nerve at all no, 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 no. no right okay right fantastic let's go back to the um the emission the the, the, the screening test that everybody has so everybody yeah. in the uk has had that for the last 10 years or so, is that? Almost 20, yes. Almost 20. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, I understand when you're born in hospital, a lady comes around with a trolley and ping goes the baby and it's all fine. What sure. happens if you're a home birth? So, different. there's different protocols or different um, setups, if you like, different models in different places. Hmm. So, in Bristol, um, it's a, uh, a person coming around with a trolley while you're in hospital. <clears throat> yeah. And if we miss the baby in hospital, say they're discharged really, really quickly or they're born at home and they never get into hospital, we run catch-up clinics. for uh, So they call oh, babies right, okay. to outpatient clinics around <coughs> the area. Um, so they just come and do it somewhere. So they get invited and, like an out. So they just, the parent has to bring them, yeah. What? How many kids just don't get tested? I mean, is there a significant the number? The coverage is, is really like 99 point yeah. something percent. The coverage of the screen is really, really high. And say you're looking at five-year-olds, are there... Well, I suppose most of the five-year-olds who, who wouldn't have a test might have been born somewhere else, for example. Well, so they could must... have been born in a different country where they haven't where they... got the um, yeah. the screening programme. Is this pretty much universal in sort of Western Europe, yeah, North America? Yeah, and, and other places as well, yes. It's it's quite unusual to find them not having the screen. We do get them oh, moving right. into so the country. Oh, right, so it really is unusual. Okay. But um, probably, yeah. the, probably the countries, I don't know, for instance, which African countries have the screen. And oh, okay. Don't, yeah, so but that would, you know, um, developing quite, countries probably somehow yeah. got it. Um, so let's say you've got a normal baby who's had a test and it's fine, and it's not fine. What happens if they fail? If they can't get a reply? so, if they don't have clear responses on OAE, they then have the AABR. Right. And if they don't have clear responses in one or both ears on the AABR, they get referred into audiology. And then we see them in paediatric audiology. And what would you do? We you would repeat you... OAEs. Yeah. And um, if we get clear diagnostic OAEs on uh, well babies, we don't need to do diagnostic ABR or yeah. brain stem response. But if they don't have, um, if they don't have OAEs, then we would do diagnostic ABRs. And how does a diagnostic ABR differ? You're just doing more stuff. So you can you can actually see the waveforms. So you yeah. you get the waveforms up on the on the screen in front of you. Right. You can vary the level. So you start at a sort of moderate level and work down. Yeah. Or home in or up if you don't get a response and home in on the quietest they can hear. A little bit like doing an audiogram, really. I was going to say, so, um, so the stimulus can be different frequencies as and well. You can so vary you the could, frequency as well. So you could pretty much do a an audiogram. Like we would understand a pure-tone audiogram, but using an ABR. You could do way. a predicted audiogram, but right. the child doesn't usually sleep for long enough to um, get all their frequencies. So, so you've got a child asleep at this stage. The child needs to be asleep because the um, the muscles need to re be relaxed because muscles oh, create right, scalp muscles and stuff. Yeah. That's right, because you're picking up um, tiny electrical signals from the nerve of hearing. And 
how do you render a two-month-old baby asleep enough to do yeah. this? Just, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. Do you, do you give them sedatives up here in audiology? No, you don't. You no, just we used fill to them do up that. with milk or something. Well, it's generally, then they're a little bit younger when they're referred from hmm. the screen. We have to. The target is that we have to see them within um, four weeks of referral. So they're generally a little bit younger yeah. um, than two months, and they sleep a lot. We ask the parents to bring anything they need to help them to sleep, so a cot, a, yeah. a pushchair, a blanket. Mum will uh, often okay. feed them, either bottle or breastfed babies. You can then get them, them to sleep. Yeah. So we try our best to get them. I, I suppose in a one-month-old baby, they're, they're fairly good most of the time. And that's they? why it's yeah. important to do it as early on as possible yeah. to, get them, to get them asleep. And sometimes... If they're normal, you can usually get the answer in um, in one session. If they're not okay. normal and you need to start doing bone conduction, yeah, uh, yeah. conduction different frequencies, you often need to bring them back. And the upshot of it is, if they have a really significant hearing loss, you I suppose you could either consider hearing aids or you could put them into the implant program. That's the upshot of it, is it? That's right. I mean, if they have yeah. a significant permanent hearing loss, first of all, we'd always recommend trying hearing aids some parents don't want to say they're a deaf child mm. or a deaf parent they may not choose oh, yes. but we so we offer the parents the choice but generally most parents most parents would go for it. would go for hearing aids and they need to have trialed hearing aids but we also alert because the cochlear the cochlear implant program is is based here as well yeah we alert the program to the, the fact this baby fulfills the criteria for uh, assessment for cochlear implantation and what's the youngest a baby could wind up getting implanted um, i think our surgeons like them to be about nine ten months old okay fine so that, that's um, interesting as far as i understand yeah. it the risks of surgery are much greater below six months like blood loss that right. sort of thing so they would definitely wait until they were a little bigger <laughs> And I think I'm, I'm planning to collar somebody to do a session on cochlear implants at some stage, right, so I'll right. explore that a bit further. Sure, sure. Fantastic. So that's really good. Just out of sheer nosiness, how, how much resistance to hearing aids and implantation is there still in the deaf community? Is it still a big thing or mm, is it not? A little bit. It, depend, it really depends. It, um, there's less, I would say. Yeah. And having many years ago walked through people holding placards with skull and crossbones on yeah, them and, yeah. and saying it was genocide, etc., etc. We We have some families who yeah, have chosen yeah. for their deaf child. So deaf families, deaf parents choosing for their child to have cochlear implants. So that's, you know, that happens. Yeah. We also do have deaf families who don't choose for their child to have cochlear implants and obviously are native signers and and their child will go to the school for the deaf. In. And the implication is they grow up in an entirely deaf community signing. That's right. That's that, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, yes, I would say there's probably still some not wanting uh, their yeah. child to have implants, but not quite the vitriol that there was. The, yeah. the I think I think they are more accepted. That's quite a big ethical minefield, which I'm not qualified to go into <laughs> at the moment. Right, really good so far. So, um, here's a random question: What if a child fails their evoke response screening at birth? How often do they suddenly develop a normal response, say, six months later? Is that possible? It is. Quite a lot of the children don't pass. And we don't use the F word. The F word is fail. We use refer or don't oh, pass. That's, that's politically <laughs> that's right. correct. Oh, because it's not a competition. <laughs> that's very surgical no, of no me, one, isn't no it? No one's allowed to fail anymore. <laughs> yeah, you can refer course. or you don't pass. Anyway. <laughs> Everyone's um, a winner in audiology. <laughs> 
So uh, if a child refers from AABR, they could have some muck in their ears, mucus yeah, in their ears yeah, from the yeah. birth, because actually as a hospital programme, we do the test quite early on. So quite a few will come through to audiology and be okay. So it's not that right. the ABR particularly yeah. has changed, it's just that the, the muck has uh, gone from their ears. Yeah. In premature babies, the hearing pathway isn't necessarily mature at birth. So the hearing pathway in babies developing inside the, the auditory brainstem response should be present at about 28 weeks onwards. Hmm. But sometimes it's just not mature or sometimes it is there, but it, it is going to mature. So with premature babies, you need to be aware that that might happen. Yeah, but you wouldn't be implanting them for a lot longer anyway, you so you're not going to go and, damage a normal cochlea. You would cochlea. wait and yeah. see. But so if, for instance, you had the autoacoustic emission present, but no auditory brainstem response, you would then wait until you could repeat the ABR or do behavioural testing and, right. or see how the child was responding to sound. Okay, which is very good, because that brings me on to the next question, which is how old would you expect a child to be before you could do a decent pure tone audiogram? Ooh, that will that will vary. So um, when a child is old enough to wait for a signal, so approximately three, three and a half in a mm. normally developing child, sometimes a little bit sooner if they're quite uh, well developed, but around three you would expect them to wait for a signal mm. to put a man in a boat when they when they hear a Yeah, but that's the, the play and stuff. Which we'll come so back that's to play. That and VRA, but the actual no, no, sitting in VRA, a boot. That, that's... No, but I mean with... Um, Sitting in a booth with a button, so just we with beeps sit, like a traditional hearing okay, test. Okay, so we I never mean, sit children in a booth anyway. That's why we've got these right. nice big rooms. <laughs> <laughs> so if they're able to wait for a signal, we might be able to get headphones on them yeah. and produce a pure tone audiogram with them playing. But if you're saying sitting, pressing, pressing a button, some will do it when they're five, six. Some yeah. still need to play. It doesn't matter what they do in response to the sound, and some of them prefer to put a counter in a board. Or so, so that brings us into the, the the sort of very special bit, which is paediatric audiology. I had a tiny bit of revision before we started this, in case I made myself look a complete idiot. And the first thing I came across was behavioural audiometry. Sure. What, what I understand is just a, that means observing a child's behaviour. So it it can it, it's a, that's a bit of a wide term, really. So yes. Behavioural observation audiometry, or BOA, where basically, so a baby might not be quite ready to sit and turn to sound, so they sit on their mum's knee leaning against them, or dad, (laughs) apparently, um, and you play sounds to them, and you watch to see if there's any behavioural reaction, like eye widening, or uh, eyebrows going up, or whatever, and it doesn't give you a threshold. But if they have any reaction to that sound, it must have been loud. They must have heard it. Are you playing a fairly standard vol- uh, yeah, volume? Probably a fairly loud sound like 80 dB, something so like something that. So something quite loud, yeah. Uh, you would probably not do that unless you thought there might be something to with them or they weren't developmentally ready to turn to sound. Yeah, so that's a pretty coarse test. It doesn't get down to threshold, but it gives you some idea that they're hearing and it must have been quite loud to initiate that response, but right. it doesn't give you a, an audiogram threshold, an okay. threshold. So the next step up from that as the child gets a little bit more evolved, or it's not the right word, is it grown up? What's the next thing up you can do? So to... developmentally, when they're able to sit with enough head and neck control to turn their head properly, they're, yeah. so they're strong enough, they'll probably do VRA, visual reinforcement audiometry. Right, so... Uh, just let's explain that properly. The child is sitting on the parent's knee facing a tester and there's another tester working the 
the buttons on the audiometer. Right. There's speakers to either side of the child. Right. And reinforcement toys in tall cabinets next to the child. That's um, that thing is it that's over that, there. That tall stack there. <laughs> For right. the purposes of the audio, the, I'm looking at the, a tall cabinet. Who's um, yeah. with puppets in that light up. Ah, right. So basically the person in front gets the child's attention with a toy and just gently keeps their attention there. Yeah. And the person working the controls puts the sound in through the speaker and when they're teaching the child, first of all, you have to teach the child to turn to the sound and reward it with the light so you get them to associate the light and sound. So first of all, they put the sound in with the light. Yeah. You you point it out to the child. You said, oh, look, look at the dancing bear or whatever. And the child... The idea is that the child associates the sound with the light, loves the light so much that when they hear the sound, they turn to be rewarded by the light. So that's more scientific than what we just described, but can you get much threshold information from that? You can get them to turn at threshold, yes. So you can do different frequencies and different thresholds until they get bored of whatever's in the box. That's right, that's right. And and we've got three in each cabinet, so you can have a little variation or put one in, two in. So you can you keep their attention as long yeah. as you can, but every every baby of that age will have a limited number of turns in them. You don't know how many that yeah. is, yeah. so you've just got to work fairly quickly. But you can get frequency specific. You can get bone conduction as well as air conduction if the baby will oh, still okay. work so with quite you. Quite a lot. Let's say you're not happy with the results of that and want it more accurate. Would that then be a diagnostic AVR? You could, or you could try. There's a, um, there's a test called distraction testing, which probably suits a baby of a slightly younger age. They still need to be able to turn to sound, and it yeah. was widely used in previous years. Yeah. It was used as a helpist to... Bells uh, and rattles test. And That's things. right. Yeah, yeah. And if done well, it can still give you some information. Okay. So again, the setup is similar to VRA with the tester in front and the baby facing the tester. But the distraction test is based on the fact that if you get a baby's attention on something, so the the person in front plays with a toy, if you then remove their attention from that thing, they will respond to something that happens next, be it a sound or seeing someone or even smelling someone. So someone plays with a toy with the baby. Someone stands behind the baby this time, usually with a rattle or using their voice. But high-frequency rattle is probably one of the most useful things person in front covers the toy and then the person behind delivers the signal and hopefully if the baby's heard it they will whiz round uh, okay so because their attention yeah. was on something that's gone and okay. for a while they they will turn to that sound so that's called distraction and uh, we would use that if we didn't get good results on vra would or didn't get vra at all we would use that to try and get some idea of whether they just weren't quite developmentally ready for VRA. Okay. brilliant Let's say the child gets a bit older still. The next thing is then putting headphones, playing sounds and getting them to do something like put a man in a boat. Is that right? And that's what you call... Well, it's called sometimes it's called performance audiometry. Right. Sometimes it's called play audiometry. Play audiometry. But basically you're playing, they're waiting for a signal and... And And they're doing a thing. And and they do a thing in response to that So the standard thing I've seen is there's a little wooden boat with holes in with eight men... And you play them a beep, and they're supposed to put the man in one of the holes. That's right. The thing. That's it. Whenever I've tried this on my own, they just put all the men in yeah. the boat straight yeah. away. So you have to teach them to do it first. Right. That's why I'm um, falling so... down. <laughs> <laughs> so the so there it is. There's our, our yeah. ubiquitous men in a boat or That's people in a boat. Ten men in yeah, it. They, yeah, they they changed it. So you have to you have to teach them to well, do it. Variety of genders and ethnic groups. The men Indeed. in the boat. It's Indeed. very correct and. It is. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <That's good. laughs>
<laughs> so you have to teach them. So you will play a warble tone through a speaker yeah. and hold their hand and jump the man in with them when the sound comes on. Uh, so that that's why it takes two tests. Right. Just one's making the sounds, uh, working the audiometer, basically, yeah. and making the sound come out of the speaker, and the other one is teaching the child what to do. So quite important that it's a sort of two-man job as well, so yeah, no yeah. wonder I'm struggling when yeah, I try to do yeah, it on yeah. my own. You could do it on your own. The other thing is, is that if they don't uh, respond very well to the warble tones, you could use the word go and say go and put the man in the boat. So go means something to them yes. and teach them to do it to go. You then have to either cover your mouth or be wearing a mask <laughs> so they're not lip reading you. Right. Okay. So that's not going to give you much frequency information. No, but, <laughs> but it gives you some idea about their low frequency because yeah. go is a low frequency. Oh, yeah. okay. In the in the in former times as well, what we do now is if we if we do condition them to respond to go, we'd probably then go on to frequency specific warble tones from the speaker. But you can use a s and like say I'm going to make a snake noise. And teach ah. them to put it in them. And that's more high frequency. Snake, and that's more high frequency, yeah. yeah. You did mention an audiology word there that transiently baffled me, which was warble tone. Warble tone. Uh, so I, know, I know what it sounds a warble like. warble tone through yeah. the speaker, woo, 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 yeah. um, rather than a pure tone. So you would use a pure tone through headphones. Yeah. But in a in a in what's called the sound field, so in the room, yeah. even in a sound treated room like this, a pure tone will have dead spots. Will set up areas of different sound levels in the room, so okay. there'll be dead spots, perhaps, or potentiation spots. Yeah. And if you use a warble tone rather than a pure tone, that overcomes that problem. Right. So that's so, what it's about. Yeah. I just thought it was yeah. more distracting. It can be. I, I mean, if you put yeah. a yeah. through yeah. the speaker yeah. and tried to get a kiddie to turn. Yeah. It wouldn't be, but it, but that's why that's the, the, the sort of physics reason we use. Water. And so, what the difference between that and a grown-up pure tone is that they're not in a booth with headphones on. They've got headphones on, but they're sitting in the room with everybody, and they're doing something that they're interested in rather than just pressing a button. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the older they get, the more they graduate towards a pressing more a traditional and, 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 audiogram. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. So the whole the whole thing is based on trying to reproduce in whatever test you're doing, trying to reproduce or at least predict an audiogram. Yeah. And if you can get separate ear information as well, that's even better by putting headphones on. Because you can do VR. Oh, I see. Yes, with yeah, headphones. Yeah, yeah. You can put head, some little two-year-olds will wear the headphones and turn beautifully. Yeah. To the sound, so you're just trying to reproduce. Would you even go as far as masking, or is that a little bit too complicated? Um, if you suspected a unilateral loss, you may just put a certain amount of masking in the right. yeah, in yeah. the good ear yeah. and see what happened. Yeah. But actually, masking isn't very yeah. reliable yeah. at that age. You probably have you need to be aware that whatever levels you were getting. Right. Say you knew they had a unilateral loss from the screen yeah. or the diagnostic ABR. When they got around to doing behavioural, they have to be aware that it might be a crossed response and would need masking at some point. Which is getting us into the realms of adult audiology mm. and my, my eyes glaze yeah. over. <laughs> so like, is, you, Kids are much more interesting. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Well, that's fantastic. So I reckon we've done about 25 minutes. Is there anything else you think we need to know that you haven't covered? I mean, I haven't touched on tympanometry yet, but Mm. we might do that another time. Well, I would say whatever age a child is, a baby or a child is, we can test their hearing one way or another. That's that's the thing to remember. And we have ways of doing that. Right. Fantastic. That's really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Okay, that's a pleasure. This podcast was produced, and I use the term loosely, in Bristol. If you have any comments for further podcasts or suggestions for the show, 
please let me know on podcast at bapo.co.uk. Thank you very much, and I hope you found it helpful.